your Bibles, I'm going to read one scripture in Mark 14. And I just feel the Lord so good to be in the house of God. I'm excited for what God's going to do in this next few months in this church. And I hope you're a part of it. Don't stand on the sidelines and watch somebody else get the things of God. Grab what God has for you for yourself. Amen. Amen. I mean, rejoice when others get blessed. Don't, don't, don't be resentful. Rejoice with them. Be thankful for them. But you know what? If God will do it for them, he'll do it for you. Amen. Mark 4 and 13, it says this, And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will you know all parables? Know ye not this parable? Let me rephrase it. If you don't understand this parable, then how are you going to know any parable that I'm teaching? Basically, what he's saying. I'm just going to talk to you tonight about the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter. Would you pray one more time? Father, we ask you in the name of the Lord. We lose your power, your authority, your spirit. We ask for your will to be done in this house. Tonight, touch your people and let the power of God be manifest in this house. We lift you up. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. We pray and you may be seated. What do you want to hear when you stand before God on that final day? When the life in this world ends and the life in eternity begins? Of course we want to be called good and faithful because those are the words we want to hear. But how do you want it to be described? How would you want God to look upon you? Is it the man or the woman that accomplished a certain goal? The man or a woman that did this, that, or the other? I've thought about this a lot, being pastor. Do I want to be known as the man that built a big church? What do I want to be known? And I always come back to David because the Bible says he was the man who was after the heart of God. The man that was after the heart of God. How truly special that is. Not a perfect man. Not a man without blemishes. Not a man that didn't make any mistakes. Not the first king of Israel, or the second king of Israel, or the, or the one that brought all the enemies to their knees while he did those things, that wasn't what described him. What described him was a heart that was truly after God. You know, as we open up the book of Genesis and we begin to read about the beginning, in fact, as we begin to read the entire Bible, as you begin to just study the scripture, but it starts in Genesis, it goes all the way to Revelations, but something comes very crystal clear, and it's this, that the heart of God is revealed on the pages of Scripture. The heart of God jumps out. He created all of 
everything that we know by speaking into existence, but when it came to humanity, both the male and the female, he got personally involved. He got his hands involved. He spent time with the man. He spent time with the woman. And all through Scripture, it is God reaching for humanity. It is God calling you when you're in darkness and in sin, and yet that still small voice whispers, come, come. Last chapter of Revelations, Christ is still saying, Come, come. The heart of God is to be intimate with you. But intimacy is a very kind of a tricky thing. You know, you in the day and age that we live in, you probably are subscribed to maybe some people on um, social media or some people maybe on YouTube or maybe you're subscribed to some podcasts or or different things where you're, in one sense, intimately involved in the lives of the people. As you watch their daily life, you listen to them. Maybe it could be a preacher uh, that you listen to all their sermons. And in one level, you have an intimacy where you feel like you know them because you've watched them, you've listened to them, you've, you've absorbed them. But if they were to walk into the room, or if they were sitting at a table at a restaurant that you walked into, would you feel like you had the intimacy to go sit with them? Now, every one of us has old friends that you've known for a long time, maybe since childhood or from, uh, if you're a little older, from high school. And, and those friends come and go in your life. Maybe they're not always there. But what's unique about those old friendships is that if you walked into a restaurant where they were sitting at that table, you may not have seen them for a long time, but you would feel comfortable to walk right up and sit with them and talk with them. You see, I think the intimacy of God that God wants for us is the second kind where it's not just we know him from a distance or afar or just because we heard about him or we've heard him preached about or we read the scriptures and learned about him. But I think it's the kind where if God was sitting at a table, he would, you would feel comfortable enough to sit with him and to know him and to be with him. I don't want the first time that we ever meet Jesus Christ to be uh, when we open up our eyes in eternity. I want to know him on an intimate level upon the earth. I want to join with David and have a heart after God's own heart. And, and God wants that for you. I want to be someone who knows God, who walks with God, who, um, who maybe is not perfect because none of us are, but strives to live a life that's pleasing to God, not because we're so afraid of hell, but because we're so desirous to do and be what God has called us to be because our heart is truly for the things of God. And I think that's what he wants. In Mark 4, and this, this parable is told in, in uh, Matthew, Mark, and in Luke. It's told in all three scriptures, and it's very similar. I just want to read it in Mark 4, and we'll just, uh, we'll just, talk, we'll just begin in verse 3. Uh, Jesus says, hearken, and that just means be quiet and listen. You shut up and just listen to me for a moment? No. That would be the, the, the message interpretation, but I, w I wouldn't use the message. So I'm going to use King James. Hearken. <laughs> Behold, there went out a sower to sow. In other words, the farmer went out and to scatter seeds. Now, um, I don't know if you've ever done this, 
in a garden. If you never, one day I was uh, in a person's house working, and they were. I heard this conversation between this uh, this mother or grandmother. I'm not sure who she was, but I think it was the mother and the, this child, about seven years old, and they were going to go check on the seeds that they had planted to see if they'd grown, if there's been any uh, germination, if there's any buds popping up out of the ground. So I just kind of heard this conversation. And the next thing I know, they were sitting in the, compu- in the living room on the computer watching their virtual seeds if anything had happened. <laughs> I was thinking, where have we gone? Where have we gone as a society? You're literally going to wait to see if your vir- virtual seeds have produced anything yet. Um, that does not bring a lot of interest to me, but... Maybe that's how this generation does it. I don't know. But if you've ever went actually out into the yard where there's actual dirt and scraped the ground and put some seeds in the ground. And, and I know in this day and age, some people may have never done this. I would encourage you to do it sometime. Uh, but the farmer did basically that, took the seeds and went out and sprinkled them on the dirt. And in verse 4, some came to pass, and some fell by the wayside. Now, this was uh, a word we don't use, but um, does anybody of you have dogs in here that are outside frequently? If you have a dog, you'll notice something if they're outside at any, any, you know, any time at all, that they make paths in the yard. And where they make the path, where they walk all the time, it kills the grass. And so you have these weird paths where they walk. And if you watch them, they always walk on that path, even though they could walk anywhere. They walk on that path. Well, the same is true with humans. If you're ever going to walk through a a field, you're going to look for the the ground that's the hardest, the ground that, you know, your foot is not going to sink down into. And then when when you try to step up, your shoe's left in the mud. That's the worst. If that's ever happened to you, it's the worst. And that will ruin a good day any any day of the week. Um, So you look for hard ground and then others do and so what happened is people would travel back then they didn't have cars there was a lot of walking that took place in fact Jesus walked everywhere he went pretty much um, and the disciples did as well and so they would walk on these hard paths they were just hard almost almost a dirt road if you would but only maybe two or three feet wide and so what he's saying is when the farmer sowed some fell on that spot where it was like a a road it was hard packed it was where people walked upon and it said the fowls or the birds came and and devoured it up and then verse five some fell on the stony ground now this was the ground that wasn't tilled up you know they would take oxen or they maybe do it by hand and take a a plow and they would plow the dirt and they would break it up and turn it over and they would pull out the the rocks and uh and then they would put seed in that ground but there were some places where they didn't plow that ground very well they didn't get all the rocks out and so there were still rocks there and so he's saying while the farmer sowed some fell in these areas that had rocks still in them and it says they had not much earth and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth verse six but when the sun was up it's it was scorched because it had no root and it withered away Verse 7, and some fell among the thorns, and so this was an area that really probably was between the field and maybe the the roads, the dirt-packed roads a little bit, or in the outskirts of, and it was just where, um, you know, around here we'll have black bears will grow up in these areas, and thorns, and they'll just come up, and 
Have you ever tried to walk through a thorn bush? I mean, it's pretty rough. Uh, my dog wouldn't even do it the other day. I was trying to make him. He, he was smarter than that. Uh, <laughs> um, but seed fell on the thorns and in the ground, and it said when the thorns grew up, it choked and it yielded no fruit. But then verse 8, the contrast is this. Another fell on good ground, and it did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30 and 60 and 100-fold. And then he said this, he that have ears to hear, let him hear. Now what Jesus always tries to do is give revelation. He's trying to take something that's natural and take it to a deeper level. You understand the dirt, you understand the farmer, you understand the field, you understand the seed. But if you're not careful and you don't really listen, you're not going to understand really what I'm trying to teach you. And this is what Jesus is saying. I'm trying to give you more profound understanding than what first meets the eye. I'm trying to go beyond the word that just hit the ears. I'm trying to unveil, uh, 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 reveal some things and, and remove some hidden things so that you can go to a much deeper level on a spiritual level and in your own life. But you must have ears and you must really listen. You know, I think Jesus speaks to us a lot of times that we can't really hear because we're too, we're too busy, we're too distracted, we're, we're doing too many things, we're going too many places, we've got too, much, uh, too many voices in our life that are speaking to us. Um, our smartphones are not so smart as much as they are as distracting. We should call them distracting phones because that's all they are. They're distracting. They, the lie was they're going to make your life easier, simpler, and more convenient so you get more done. And if anybody believes that lie, then I've got a bridge in California. I'd love to sell you. And we'll give all the proceeds to uh, the missionaries, okay? Um, <laughs> the truth is, technology has only made our lives busier. Um, more, you know, our, our attention span is less. We just had a Spare of Antioch meeting the other day, and we were trying to discuss the videos that we're going to put out. And, and the... the it was said that if, you, if you're over two minutes, it's just way too long. Nobody can watch an over two-minute video. And may, really, it should be under 60 seconds. And if you can get down to 30 seconds, that would be perfect. And the reality is this. Our attention spans are so short. So short. And see, you didn't even finish that sentence with me. Welcome back. I'm on a new thought now. Um, it's just like, bam, bam, bam. What am I going to do after dinner? Oh, did I do that? Oh, did I pay that bill? Oh, what do I got to do tomorrow? Oh, did I? I didn't check the email. Oh, I forgot to do. Oh, you see, our minds are just so distracted. And in the midst of that, God is saying, you're missing out on revelation I'm trying to give the church. I'm telling you this because I feel it in the spirit. God wants to take this church to a new level. God wants to take you to a new level. God wants to take this generation. We're seeing a stirring. I've been for, for a couple years now, I've been saying, where is the stirring? There's so much evil. There's so much wickedness. But where is the stirring in the people, in the nation, crying out for God? And we're starting to see glimpses of it here and there, the vein of it. But there is moving in this generation. God is calling a people and saying, oh, come unto me me i've got things for you to do and things for you to be a part of that you have never entered your mind you've never thought about you've never seen and you never heard but you're gonna have to get disconnected from everything that's distracting you and listen to my voice because i got revelation for you so he that had ears let him hear <laughs> Verse 
Now, Jesus answers the question because I think it's a question we all have. Why does Jesus speak in parables? Have you ever thought that? Why doesn't he just say what he wants to say? Why parables? Why parables? Well, he answers that in verse 11 of Mark. He says this, unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. Why? Verse 12. That seeing they may see but not perceive. Hearing they may hear but not understand. And here is the hard, like this is a really hard statement. I've thought about this a lot of times. Why would Jesus say this? Lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. And so... Jesus is quoting Isaiah, uh, or paraphrasing Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is very interesting. You go back in Isaiah 6. It's one of most, my most favorite chapters in all the book, in all the scripture. But I say that about a lot of chapters, so um, just take that with a grain of salt. But I do love Isaiah 6 because it's in a profound moment in the life of Isaiah. If you go and you read it, it's, it's this intimate um, connection between Isaiah and God. It's Isaiah was just a priest in, the God's, in God's house, but it was Isaiah 6 as he begins to give his testimony of what happened to him when he came in to do the Lord's work in the temple that God began to reveal to him who he truly was. And so he says, I was in the temple and I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple and he saw the angels surrounding the throne crying, holy, holy, holy. And it was at that moment and then he fell to his knees and he, and he knew that he felt the weight of his own inadequacy and sinful nature. And he cried, woe is me for I am undone. I am a sinful man. And then the angel went and took the tongs of heaven and took a coal off the altar of the, the, the fire of heaven and burned it down and touched his mouth. And when it touched his mouth, something revived in him. And God asked this question, who can I send? Who will go? And Isaiah said, oh, that's me. Send me, God. I'll go. Now that would be a beautiful story, but it doesn't end there. God says, you're right, you are going to go. I've anointed you for this hour to speak to your generation. But know this, Isaiah. They're going to hear and they're not going to listen. They're going to see, but they're not going to perceive. I'm going to send you forth in a generation that will turn their back on you. <laughs> How would you like to have that calling? You're not going to have any, you're going to have very few converts. You're going to have very few people to listen but you're going to stand as my witness in a generation and you're going to proclaim the things of God against a generation whose heart is wicked and evil and desires the things of this world and not the things of me and so I'm going to send you as a contrast but they will not see or hear because their heart is not for me, and so I'm not going to allow them to see the revelation or understand the depth of what I'm saying. And it's going to be, it's going to be a, a, a contrast or a witness against the evilness in their heart. And so now Jesus is standing in Israel. And Israel is supposed to be the people of God. Israel is supposed to be the people 
of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who knew who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were. They were supposed to be the one that guarded the treasures of the word of God and, and had the Ark of the Covenant in their midst. And yet, when the Messiah came, they did not know God because they knew the rituals. They knew their laws. They could, they could quote the Torah. They knew the 613 laws of, of, of their Jewish uh, uh, interpretation of the law, but they did not know God. And boy, boy, do I see a, a kind of a resemblance in our generation. We're flooded with the word of God. It's everywhere. There's no one that lacks the word of God. It's everywhere. It's, if you want the word of God, you can have it. And yet, a generation that knows about God but doesn't know God. And if God was to walk in our midst, we wouldn't know him. You see, Jesus, and I say we, not as an you and I, I'm saying as a generation. You see, that's what it was. God was walking in the midst of a generation that should have known him but did not. And so Jesus said, because their hearts are far from me, I am not going to allow them to be perceived what, what I'm speaking to them. Because then they'll be converted and they'll be forgiven, but their hearts would still not be right. My friend, the door to the things of God is through the heart that longs to know God on an intimate level. That wants to know him deep and true for no other motivations but just to know who he is. I'm going to turn to Matthew 5 and, and, and 8 for a moment. I would, I would encourage everyone in this room to study the Sermon on the Mount. It's the message of the king. Jesus was the king. Matthew's scripture is about Jesus being the king, and this is the message of the king. And in verse 5, he says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Wow. Oh. And that stirs me just to, just to think and read that. I want to see you, God. I want to walk with you, Father. I don't want to just know about him. I want to see him. I want him to be real in my life. I want to walk with him. I want to hear his voice. He said, all right, your heart's got to be pure. Your heart's got to be pure. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. See, I think pastors and leaders and people make mistakes. They try to make all these rules and laws and how we're going to keep people saved. My friend, the laws can't do it. Your heart's either for God or not for God. I could give you a list of laws and tell you, you know, don't steal. Don't take the name of the Lord's name in vain. Don't murder your neighbor. That's a good one. Don't commit adultery. <laughs> don't lie. Don't cheat. You know, but if your heart's not in it because you desire to know God... Then you just become a Pharisee where you technically follow all the laws. 
cross every T, dot every I, but you don't know the Lord. And when he shows up in your life, you don't even recognize that it's the Lord moving. And, and because you think you got it all right and pride, spiritual pride takes root, Jesus, the living God, is standing in front speaking the words of God, but they can't perceive it any more further than it's just a farmer and some seeds and some dirt. When underneath, there's so much more depth, and God's trying to reveal his own heart and his own reality of the kingdom of heaven, but we're blinded to it because the heart's not pure. It's the motivations are something else. And so I'd ask you, my friend, what is the motivations in the heart? What is truly there? What are you truly afraid of or you won't let go or keeps you bound? Because, my friend, God wants a purity of soul and a purity of heart. And he wants you to lay everything at the altar and everything at the, at the foot of the cross and just say, you know what? There's nothing. I just want you, God. There's nothing. I just want you. And then I tell you what happens. We start conforming to his image. I don't have to live by laws. I live by the law of love. It's Christ, what do you want from me? If you, if you desire this, I'm going to do it because I want to live a life that's pleasing to you. I'm not living by the law. I'm living by love. You know, I try to live this way in my marriage, and some of you should. I try to do things that are pleasing to my wife. And this makes a good marriage if both spouses are doing this. And in Ephesians 5, Jesus says marriage is like the relationship between Christ and the church. And I'm going to tell you this. If you want to have a good walk with God, then don't live by law. Live by love. And if Christ wants you to have it, then do it. And if he wants you to abstain, then abstain. But don't do it. Don't do it because of any other reason. But you want to please the Lord. That's it. Because the pastor said it. I mean, I like when you do what I say, but I know most people probably... No, I won't go there. Let's go on. Just, I'll just take a whole sidetrack, and I don't have time for that. Ain't got time for that, you know? <laughs> no Nobody got time for that. All right. Um, the heart. So I, I, really, I really, I think about this a lot because I'm going to tell you, in your life, there are things, there's mysteries that God's trying to reveal to you that, that just haven't been revealed yet. Like you can't see them because you haven't been in a place to receive those revelations. You may have been in, it's interesting to me because I'll preach a message or I've been in church situations where I've been the listener and someone else has been preaching. And, and it's been interesting to me that um, in the same service, in the same message, in the same words that are spoken, one will get a revelation and someone will be left in the dark. Someone will be shaken under the under the power of God, move to their core, you know, life-changing message, and the person next to them won't even remember the message that was preached. How is this? How is this? I don't want to live my life blinded to the things of God. I want the mysteries of the kingdom of God to be revealed, not only to me, but to this church and to this generation. I don't want to be spiritually blind or spiritually deaf. I don't want to walk in circles for a lifetime or for a generation, never truly going in the promised land. But I want what God has for us to be revealed. And if God says we can have it, then let's get everything out of the way that's hindering us from receiving what God has. Let's lay it down at the altar somewhere and let's get a hold of God and let's get the revelations that's changed our life. I'm, I'm just going to give you an example. I've, I've told this before. This is written in uh, Seven Habits for Highly Effective People. I read this to someone the other night, and it's with me. 
So a man was sitting on the train, a subway in New York. And he was, he was uh, going about their business and they came to a stop. And the door opened up and a, uh, a man and his two children walked in. And the man um, seemed kind of oblivious to what was happening. And he sat right next to the man that was writing this. And the kids, uh, before they you know, entered the train, the subway, everyone would just sit there quietly and peacefully. Some were reading the newspapers a few years back. Others were um, just, you know, just sitting there, maybe peacefully resting, their eyes closed, whatever. It was just a calm situation. But when the kids got on there, well, everything kind of changed. They were jumping from seat to seat. They were throwing things. They were loud. They were running up and down the aisle. They were screaming. And the man was just sitting there. And the one that was watching all this, observing all this, he said, I was so frustrated by the circumstance and what was happening. And I couldn't believe that this man wasn't saying anything to his children. And so he said, with all of the constraint and all of the, the grace and all the mercy that I could muster, I turned to him. And with, every, with, with, with as nice as I could say it, I said, sir, you may not realize this, but your children are disturbing the entire subway. <laughs> and the man looked dazed and he turned back at him. And he said, well, I'm so sorry. I guess I really should do something about them. I guess they just don't know how to react. He said, you see, we just left the hospital where their mother just died. I guess all of us are just a little bit in shock right now. And the man, he felt this big. He wasn't frustrated anymore about the children. Instead, he was like, what can I do? I'm so sorry. You see, this is kind of how it is. When God comes to us and gives us revelation, bam, everything changes. The emotions change, the perceptions change, the understanding changes, everything changes. It, you don't have to force yourself to be nice anymore. It's the natural empathy arises. The natural uh, emotions that are attached to the revelation begin to take place. And this is why perspective is so powerful. Because when you can shift perspective, everything else changes with it. And when we can get God's perspective. I'm going to tell you something I, I heard this week. And then I'm going to get back on my, where I'm trying to go with this. And I'm watching the clock. Imagine you're standing on the side of the road. And it's the 4th of July, or let's just say it's Christmas or whatever, whenever they do parades. And you're standing there, and all these floats are lined up, and they're passing by you. And you've got this float with balloons, and then the next one comes by, and you've got the floats, and maybe they've got, I don't know. I remember one year we made a float, and we made a, a train, and it looked like a train, and it was really, really, we, in the Christmas one, and it was really awesome. Uh, and then maybe someone will come by, and like the one in... New York, I believe, Santa Claus is on the last one, right? Um, but as you're standing there, you're watching, and all you see is a, a, a ton of floats coming down the road, and then you've got the floats in front of you. Now imagine being that perspective, and then imagine um, a different person that's in a helicopter, and they're above, and they're looking down. And as they look down, they see... The beginning float, they see the ending float, they see every float in between at the same moment. And I think this is how it is in life. And so this is, uh, 
this is what I want to say. We live life kind of in the moment where the floats go by or the days go by one day at a time. But God is outside of time and space and he's higher up and he sees the beginning, the middle, the ending and everything in between. And if you can connect to his perspective, it changes everything. There's been more than one time that I've had problems that I've had to take to the Lord. And, and I wanted a miracle and I wanted supernatural things and don't we all, you know, we pray for those things and God does them sometimes. But I'm going to tell you what God does mostly with me. <laughs> Now, he does miracles sometimes, so I'm very thankful when he does, and I like those. Mo- if you're listening, Lord, right now, I like those best, okay? Um, <laughs> just joking. I do like them best, but I know God's listening. Um, but what God does a lot of times for me, I've had this happen so many times I can't even count, is I'll come to God with all of my problems, all of my, you know, the Bible says cast your cares on him. I don't know how everyone else does it. I'll just tell you how I do it. I just take him literally. I just come. He says my, he's my counselor in Isaiah. So I just come to him, and he's my counselor, and he's the one that I can cast my cares on. And so I just unload in a, in a civil way. I just tell him what is going on inside. I tell him all the emotions I have. I tell him all the weights I have. I tell him all my frustrations. I tell him all my sorrows. I tell him why I'm feeling sorry for myself. I tell him everything. <laughs> Some of you are like, man, I can't be that honest with God. Well, he knows it already. So why hide it? So I just tell him everything. And I just like let it out, lay it there. The foot of the cross, you know. And then I surrender to God. And I say, God, whatever you want. Because it's not my will, it's thy will. This is where I'm at. And I'm telling you, God will come, bam. And it will change my perspective on how I'm seeing things. And I'm telling you, strength will come encouragement will come, joy will come. I'm telling you, everything, everything changes inside of me. And when I walk out of the prayer room, I, I walk right into the same problems, the same situations, the same frustrations, the same needing of miracles. But everything's different. Because God lifted me up in a sense onto the high mountain where I could look down and I could see the beginning from the ending a little bit, at least a little bit more than I did before. Not so stuck at looking at that one float in front of me. And everything's different. And every time he's done this, it, I don't know what accompanies it is the gift of faith, I believe. Because I know that God is going to take care of it even if it's not happening this moment. It's so powerful. I wish I could get that to you because it works. I promise you it works. So what Jesus is trying to say here is this. And then he, he says, seeing they may, oh, excuse me, let me go back. Verse 12, seeing they may see and perceiving and not perceive and hearing they may hear but not understand. And then verse 13, he says this, know ye not this parable, then how will you know all parables? And so Jesus is saying this, um, and there's a couple things, but he's saying this. If you can't understand this parable, then you're not going to understand any of my teachings. How are you going to understand any teachings if you don't understand this teaching? And and so in one way, he's saying this. All of my teachings are spiritual. All of my teachings are revealed in a similar process. All of my revealed, all of my teachings take a spiritual eye and a spiritual ear to understand and a pure heart. But, but how are you going to understand them if you don't understand this? And so he's saying the second thing is this. At the, at the center or the core of this parable, 
is the, is the key that unlocks all of my teachings. I looked in the commentators. I, I listen a lot of, I, I read a lot of commentators about different scriptures. And I could not find one that said that. But this is something many, many years ago when I was a young preacher, when I was new, I don't know, maybe I wasn't even preaching yet, that God showed me. How will you understand any of my teachings in my word if you cannot comprehend this teaching in this parable? Now, he, he answers. And we're going to just read through it. In verse 15, he says, well, 14, the sower sowed the word. So first of all, the sower is anyone that preaches the word. The word comes from Christ. But he soweth the word. You know, the, originally he said seed, but now we, he, he, we don't have to try to figure it out. I don't have to look at the Greek. I don't have to go to anything. God gave the revelation. The seed is the word. I'm going to tell you something about the word. The word never fails. The word never returns void. The word never doesn't do what it's supposed to do. The word always has an effect on somebody, on a situation. The word is not perverted in any way in the sense that it can't, it can't accomplish what it's sent to do. There's no defect in the word. There's no problem in the word. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with the seed or the word. It has life inside it that has potential to flourish in the life of an individual. The word is not the problem. Verse 15, these are they that by the wayside, the, the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that is sown in the heart. And so Mark says Satan comes immediately. So here's how it works. The preacher preaches, bam, light bulb goes on. You, you feel it. And then all of a sudden the devil says, that's not true. <laughs> Snatches it out of the heart. You see, Matthew says they receive the word and they don't understand the word. So it kind of sounds right, preacher, but I'm not fully understanding you. So the, then the wicked one comes and he, he takes away what was sown. And Luke basically says he keeps, uh, Luke basically says the same thing, but he adds this. He keeps the hearer from salvation. Satan does. So here's what we understand first. That sometimes, I'm going to say we, because there's no good ground here. You're all broken, just like me. And we all got to fix the ground. The heart is the ground. And we got to fix it so we can hear the word of God the way God intends us to receive it. And so that we can have that multiplication of blessing, of fruit in our life that God wants us to have. You see, we get stuck so, so long with barrenness when God wants us to have a fruitfulness. We get so stuck coming to church Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday. Days and weeks and months go by and we're just stuck. Why? Because we're stuck in that place where we're not really hearing what God is saying to us. Why? Because Satan's attacking you. He's coming against the word. He's coming against what is preached in this pulpit. He's coming against the Bible in your life. He's trying to fill your mind with other philosophies and other doctrines and other 
another understanding. And he's trying to keep you in the dark, keeping you from understanding what the word is trying to say. And so he literally snatches revelation out of your heart. How many people? Demas has forsaken me. Demas. A young minister with the Apostle Paul. Forsake Paul. Why? Because the word was snatched out of his heart. This is why we go through so many, we're trying to give you discipleship class. We're trying to give you small group. We're trying to get you to read the word of God on your own. You must have an intimate relationship with God's word. Let's read verse number, number 16. And these, and these are like which are sown on the stony ground. Who, when they heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they had no root in themselves, so they endure for a time afterwards. When infliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are what? Offended. <laughs> Has anybody been offended around here? Anybody? <laughs> Is it just me? Did you know you offend me sometimes? Because I probably offend you sometimes. You know, we're human, so we offend each other. Offense is part of living life. We don't do it on purpose, and no one should do it. But Jesus said, offense will come. Now, you don't have to be the one that makes the offense. I don't have to be the one that causes the offense. But Jesus said, offenses will come. You see, the offense is what steals the word. It's, I was joking with Tanner, and I'm going to use this as a as I was trying to shake his hand, but I was busy trying to do something else. And so he had his hand out kind of out, out awkwardly. Have you ever shook your hand and, and the other person didn't respond like in a timely fashion? Well, that was me. So Tanner was standing there. And I was wanting to shake his hand, but I was doing something. And I thought, well, I'll do it real quick. And then shake his hand. And so it was a, just an awkward moment, you know. And between the life of me and Tanner, you know, we just had this awkward moment. <laughs> And then I just gave up what I was doing, and then I shook his hand, and I said, I'm sorry. I'm trying to do this. And I said, don't get mad and leave the church. And, and uh, I was just joking with him. And he said, I'm leaving right now. And, uh, but he stayed. He, God, God smit his heart. And, uh, <laughs> but isn't that, isn't that how it works sometimes, though? It would be the smallest of things, and we build it in this huge stronghold of, of things, and, and we get so upset, and, and we get so mad, and we, I'm never going to go back to that church, or I'll never step foot back in that church, or I'll never, and we make these broad proclamations, and it's all out of pride because we were wounded somehow, and it's this small offense. Why? Because Jesus said, because there's no root. There's no root. You people that leave over a fence don't have a root. That's the problem. This is the, they, 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 they grab the word of God, and it's not a time frame. They might have been here for years. They might have been here for decades. They might have been forever, but they didn't have root. The root, the root, it, it goes deep. It, it goes in that soil so that, that when the sun scorches and, and the temperature gets hot and all the people get, you know, uh, like, like Joseph's brothers, the brothers gang up against you and throw you in a pit. It doesn't change your attitude towards the calling or the things of God. You stay the course. You live for God. It doesn't matter what happens. You're not offended because you got a deep root system that goes to, to a source of of strength that is not on the surface. Hmm. So my friend, if you ever feel offended, this is a revelation. You need a deeper root system in your life. 
So you got too many stones in your life that need to be broken up. <laughs> you need those preachers in your life that are going to beat some things out of you. <laughs> you, need, you need to get, get on and listen to some Jonathan Doherty you know, messages and let them beat you on you for a while. I got to tell you a funny story on Jonathan. He's not here, and he's, he's probably traveling, so he's probably not watching, so this is probably a good thing. Good time to say it. <laughs> one time, <laughs> one time he, he said, he said, I've got to talk to this certain person. Would you come in the office with me? Sure. I go in the office, and Jonathan just unloads on this person. Just unloads on this person. And then just walks out of the office and leaves me standing there. <laughs> Thanks, Jonathan. As you go eat, I'll counsel this person for the next hour, try to save their soul. <laughs> well, Jesus loves you. <laughs> need some things broke up in us sometimes don't we we do i'm going to tell you this in proverbs the truth of a friend sometimes stings but it's sweeter than a lie of someone who's not truly a friend you know what i find sometimes that people that really don't have your best interest at heart they'll gather around you and they'll love on you if you attack the church and they'll support you and they'll attack the church right with you Attack the pastor, attack the spiritual things. Oh, yeah. It's the deceit. It wounds. The truth of a friend. That's what we all need from time to time, don't we? I don't really want to hear it, but I know you love me. So please tell me. Okay, we got to go on. Verse 18. And these are them which are sown among the thorns, as such as hear the word. And the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. This is all the things. This is the life we're living in. They, they start choking out. We get too busy to come to church. We take a job on Sundays or Wednesday nights. We, 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 I'm sorry. I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen people come and pray through uh, and, and come to me and say, Pastor, I need a job. Okay, we'll pray for a job. Well, God can do it. And then they come back to me. Well, the only job I could find is on Sunday and Wednesdays. But I'm going to keep praying and I'm going to keep studying my Bible. And, and I'm saying, no, no. You're going to die. You're going to die. Of course you got that job on Sunday and Wednesday because the devil doesn't want you in the house of God. And maybe you got to take a dollar an hour pay cut, but what's your soul worth? Is your soul worth being saved? Because I've never one time watched anyone that prayed back through and then got a job on Sunday and Wednesday. I've never watched them be faithful and true because they always get weak and die because they can't do it on their own. And that's why the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourself together, even the more such as the day of the Lord approaches because you're not strong enough. You can't do it yourself. And you need a body of believers going to help you uh, overcome come and lift you up so that you can be what God's called you to be in this generation. It doesn't matter. Don't let the cares of the world, don't let the things, they're going to come. The weights, anxiety, frustration, sorrows, it's going to come, but don't let them choke the word in your life. Just because you have a bad experience doesn't mean the prophetic word of your life is dead. 
No, it just means it hasn't happened yet. What's more real? I always think this when I'm going through the hard. Is this more real? What I'm facing, what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, the darkness of my situation, the, the brokenness of my moment. Is that more real or is the word of God more real that was spoken over me and written in the word of God? Or is that more real? I can, maybe you don't see it. I can't feel it. I can't hear it. But which one's more real? Which one's going to last for eternity? Which one's going to stand the test of time? This thing I'm facing now, it's going to be gone at some point. But the prophetic word, it lasts forever and ever and ever and ever. Because the word of God shall never end. This world is going to pass away. But the word of God shall last forever. Oh, would you stand with me? I'm going to read the final verse. I almost got to my message. No, I'm just joking. I just had to throw that in there. Because you're used to hearing it. <laughs> and these are they which are sown on good ground. Such as... Heareth the word and receiveth the word. Heareth the word and receiveth the word. I want to read out of Matthew. It says, Heareth the word and understands the word. Heareth the word and understands the word. Luke says, Has an honest and good heart. Heareth the word and keepeth the word. Brings forth some 34th, 60-fold, 100-fold. What's in your heart tonight? I'm going to tell you, there's some rocks in your heart. There's some areas of your heart that have been beat down and calloused over. And there's some places in your heart that you've got too much care of the world in it. And these things choke and kill the word of God as it's trying to be released. Listen, don't live your life trying to justify your actions. Don't live your life thinking you're always right. It just keeps you bound. Surrender. God, show me what I'm missing. Reveal to me what I can't see. Take those things out of me, God. Beat my heart and till it up, God. I know that hurts sometimes. Pull the rocks out of it. Cut the vines down. Because here's the revelation. How do you get any of my teachings if you don't understand this lesson? See, this is the foundation of it all. The heart towards God. Well, I want to go to the promised land. I want to see the great and mighty things of God. I want to see miracle signs. and I want to see great revival. I want to see the masses come to Christ. I want to see the stadium of Katusa filled with people on their faces praying out to God. But my friends, why? I don't want any of it. If it takes my heart to a place that's not right. You know, God's asked me more than once, and it's only my position, so he would ask me, because I'm pastor of this church, why do you really want revival? Why do you want to see these things come to pass? So I've had to think about it many times. You see, if it's about the broken soul, 
and the drug addict and the one that's released out of prison and staggers into the house of God for hope or family member that's outside of God and bound on drugs or maybe someone that's hopeless and depressed and suicidal if it's for that then you've got the heart of God but if it's for anything else well look what I've done look what I've made so you've got your own things in your life you've got your own questions that God's asking you why what do you what's the motive Oh God, I just want to come to you where I first found you at that cross, at that altar, where I had no agenda and I had no, you see my friend, it was the Lord that found me when I was broken and hopeless. It was the Lord that found me when I was going astray. It was the Lord that found me and whispered that sweet voice into my life, I love you, but you need to come and follow me. I feel this in this church so strong. God wants to reveal some of you have had religion let me just say this some of you have had religion but you've never truly had God some of you have been in churches for years but you've never really known him God wants to take you to that new step can you surrender everything to him right now would you close your eyes and lift your heads right now oh God I surrender I surrender. Would you say those words to him? I surrender. Every area of my life, I surrender. Everything I think I know, everything I stand upon, everything, oh God, that, 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 that I've followed, God, I just want to be pleasing to you. You see, when your heart is right, you can see God when your heart is right. The Word of God begins to be revealed as you read it. When you see, when your heart is right, things transform. Sins are laid down. Let's sing this song as we pray.